Thank you for tuning in to another episode of She Looks Like Me. We are officially in episode seven, y'all, and I am excited about today's theme. Today's guest, she and I have been Facebook friends for several years, and this is actually our first chance of really getting to have like an in-depth conversation, Um, but we have always been bigging each other up digitally for years, and so I'm super excited for us to be able to actually have a very deep conversation on the theme of self-preservation. So today's theme is preserve thyself, what it means, what it doesn't, and tools for the self-preservation journey. My guest today is Gabrielle Morton, and she is a trauma-informed licensed therapist with a background in behavioral health and social work. Her energy work focuses on generational healing in the Black community, because we need it, okay? And as a Black wellness educator, Gabrielle provides transformative coaching and psychoeducation on self-awareness, boundaries, spiritual development, unhealthy behavioral patterns, hello, identifying underlying trauma, and intrapersonal conflict. She leverages her strength as a storyteller and passion for emotional health to curate safe spaces for Black women navigating the process of healing the relationship they have with themselves. And I am such an advocate of this, and I am here for everything that was listed in her bio. So, Gabrielle, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yes, me too. Listen, I... um people always ask me, how do you come up with these ideas for uh, the various episodes? And I'm like, honestly, my guests, they just bring forth the energy. And when I saw your Facebook post, I don't know, it was a few weeks ago, because we mm-hmm. kind of made this happen fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a few weeks ago, you had talked about how your journey or your um, exploration of self-preservation led you to create a space for that digitally. And so I'm excited to dive into that with you today. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about what is bringing you joy these days. Ooh, joy. You know what? It is so interesting that you asked that question because joy is a a topic that me and my best friend have been discussing for the better part of maybe two years. And we started asking ourselves, how can we incorporate more joy into our lives. Um, and so it's so interesting. I have, a, I'm looking at a mug that says joy that she gave me because, you know, it's about the moments of joy that you experience in each day. And so um, what is bringing me joy these days is um, not having to commute and being able to, um, when I wake up, I don't wake up feeling stressed. That is um, something that I'm not really used to. Um, you know, during my time in the military, everything was go, 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 go. Um, you know, before pandemic, pre-Rona, <laughs> pre-Rona, everything was like, go, 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 go. And so um, being able to slow down has brought me tremendous joy lately. And that's what's bringing me joy, just kind of ebbing and flowing and, you know, taking my time with things. I agree. I think in past years, We've, we have been kind of go, go, go. As I know for me, I talk about it. Um, I know in one of the past episodes, I talked about how I felt like I was just going from one goal to the next goal to the next goal. And life and just the pandemic, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we're like, nope, sit it down. And it's time to deal with the stuff. Like, mm-hmm. And when I say stuff, I mean inner stuff, right? There's, mm-hmm. of course, external things we always need to deal with, but kind of having more time to sit with yourself, um, you deal with your stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Part of that, I think, is this idea of, again, self-preservation. I know a lot of people 
have had uh, lots of epiphanies this year. I don't know about you, but I know I have. Absolutely. <laughs> like one right after the other too. Okay. You're like, why am I getting so much information in the span of 12 months? I didn't, this is a lot. <laughs> right, right. I didn't sign up for all of this. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I know, you know, again, it's a journey we're always on as human beings, definitely as entrepreneurs. Um, and it's a, a recurring theme that, you know, requires us to like, look at how we define self-preservation, how it manifests in our life and how the people around us are affected by it. So before we jump in, we have to put out the disclaimer that mm -hmm. um, the information that you hear in today's episode is non-clinical, it's for educational purposes only, and is not intended to be a substitute for medical assessment, diagnosis, or treatment by a healthcare professional. Right. Don't be holding <laughs> us accountable. <laughs> okay, listen, we just, we just here to drop some gems, make you think maybe a different thought or two. Right. Seek the help if you feel like this applies to you. <laughs> so I guess how do we get here is kind of a question that I, I thought of when I thought about the idea of self-preservation. I think in past generations, especially for Black women, we are just historically known for taking care of everybody except ourselves. And I know for me, and I know for so many other Black women, it's a martyrdom that you didn't necessarily sign up for. Mm -hmm. um, and it often leaves us feeling empty, depleted, and disconnected from ourselves. So I wanted to take some time to spend time with somebody who knows what's happening, like what's going on and, and how we can define it in a way that's productive and healthy, um, in a way that doesn't hopefully cause a lot of explosions or like self-sabotaging, self-destructing things within ourselves and within the relationships around us. So I wanted to define what self-preservation was first and then kind of talk to you a little bit, Gabrielle, about, you know, what your thoughts are based on that definition. And then I guess if you want to jump into it, we can talk about, you know, what I thought it was and what I thought it, you know, and we can talk about what it isn't and all that fun stuff. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So I like definitions because I'm a bit of a word nerd. So, um, you know, according to Webster, the definition of self-preservation is the protection of oneself from harm or death, especially regarded as a basic instinct in human beings and animals. So when I saw that definition, I was like, oh, so this like at the core level, self-preservation is very instinctual. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I felt like, okay, well, a lot of times our instincts, depending on what we've been through in life, our instincts aren't always um, responding from a place that really has our best interest at heart, like it thinks it does because it's trying to protect us or it's trying to keep us safe from harm in any form, whether that's, you know, from another person or just from our mind trying to do something different, change, right? But I think that when we know that we are conscious human beings who have the ability to choose, we know that we can choose differently, right? Especially if we're not seeing the type of results that we want in our life. And so, yes, I just wanted to break that down, I guess, a little bit and then get your thoughts on it before we talk about maybe what I thought it was and, and what it isn't. Okay. Um so when I think of self-preservation, and I know we're going to get into to that a little bit deeper uh, later on, but um, when I when I first think about it, when I first started 
researching it for myself because I came across the quote years ago by Audre Lorde. And I, you know, it's always been in the back of my mind, always ingrained, but it was just that, like this quote. Um, and so when you read the definition for self-preservation, it does highlight the point that it's instinctual behavior. And so when I think about it, it's, it's what we tap into to let us know that we aren't safe. So whatever is happening in that moment, something is saying, hey, you're not okay right now. You are not safe. Something is up. Um, it's like a tap on the shoulder, right? So whatever you believe in, if it's your vibes, your inner spirit, your inner voice, your ancestors, uh, whatever or whoever is guiding you, um, to me, it is connected to, to self-preservation. Self-preservation is how you and I are still here you know, millions of years after um, the first human arrived. And so um, really it's it's a question that you ask yourself, like, am I safe? Am I not safe? Um, if this isn't okay, then how the hell do I get out of this situation right now? Because if I don't, I, you know, I'm going to die. And maybe not physically, maybe emotionally or spiritually, even financially when it comes to self-preservation. And so self-preservation is, is definitely... Um, a lot more um, expansive than what we think it is just to kind of, you know, discuss it straight off. No, absolutely. I was going to say that too, because when I, um, so I, I wrote down, you know, before, before we recorded, I wrote down what I used to think it was and what mm. I, how I view self-preservation now. Um, and a lot of it is kind of still the same. <laughs> I think it's just the energy with which I approach it. Okay. And I think because I try to do it with a lot more compassion and a lot more kindness. So again, I'm not blowing up the spot at the point that I need to make different decisions. And so what I used to think it was, and I guess we can talk a little about a little bit about my definition of what I used to think it was, but I used to think self-preservation basically was just cutting off toxic people. You know, if you were unstable, you were all over the place, you always brought drama. I was like, gotta go, bye. <laughs> like, you know, with very little compassion or any desire really to understand the perspective. Again, it was just me. It was like, ah, drama, exit stage left, gotta go. And then I think just in general, kind of cutting people off um, in general, just so I could focus on myself and worry about my stuff. You know, people, everybody has their stuff. And I think some of us sometimes find ourselves in a place where it's like, you know what? I can't deal with your stuff because I'm dealing with my stuff. So, right. right. <laughs> so you like, this is too much for me. Right. Again, it just felt very instinctual. Um, so allowing my gut instinct, so my immediate response, my immediate reaction to lead the way. Whereas now I, I look at that because self-preservation, it felt like I was doing myself justice to immediately respond and immediately try to resolve things. But I find myself enjoying the gray space of like letting mm -hmm. something breathe. Uh -huh. So letting something breathe and whether that's a discussion between a person, whether that is you know, just a situation I'm going through by myself, like giving myself the space to not immediately have to label it or immediately have to respond. Um, more being and less doing. So mm -hmm. not always feeling like I have to be on, not feeling like I always have to produce or perform or post on social media because in business they tell you, girl, you better be posting all the time. <laughs> right. Like, it's like, excuse me, um, I had a life before Facebook and Instagram existed. And yes, you know, there's a balance. And I think more than anything, that's probably one of the key words, I would say, 
um, about self-preservation is finding the balance Mm -hmm. um, in it all. So I still try to distance myself from people who, you know, are energy suckers. I think that's how I look at it now. It's like, do you fill me up or do you deplete me? Mm -hmm. Am I tired after, like, am I exhausted after dealing with you? So those are just kind of some ways I used to think about it. I try to, again, do it from a place that feels better so that I'm not making anyone feel bad as I exit stage left. And I don't I'm not left feeling bad or feeling like someone took me out of character because that's just that doesn't feel good. So I don't know if that's a productive way G, to think about it, <laughs> but um, but I figured I'd at least break it down for me so that anybody who might feel similarities in that we can we can kind of get some clarity on if that's a productive way to handle it or if we can get some tools in our toolbox to do it better. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that um, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of women are going to um, hear your words and it's going to resonate with them. Um, and then that is going to help them jumpstart. Uh, their journey on what it is, what it means for them, right? Um, we see a definition and we say, okay, I see this definition or I see what this example is, but what does this mean to me? And then you have to personalize it for yourself. Um, and I think that just hearing you talk, it's definitely the way that you approach your measuring your emotional progress and what that success looks like in your life. Again, with that balance, because how it looks for you right now is going to look different for or someone else, the the energy the energy suckers. Um, I'm always very interested in the way that we all view that because we'll get into it later. Um, I like to bring up accountability as well. So self preservation for a lot of people, like you said in the beginning, is no, nope, I'm not a part of this. I'm cutting it off. I don't do drama. I don't do drama. You know, and sometimes self preservation is just quietly removing yourself maybe not so much announcing it Um, and then paying attention to see if you are the one that's causing an issue. Are you the energy sucker, right? So then you flip that and and we'll get into accountability later. Um, But I think that your words are going to resonate a lot with the with your audience. And one thing that I was kind of reflecting on as I was, you know, going through this over the week is Um, there are certain questions that I have in conversations with my clients. And so um, I always tell them that you're going to walk away with more questions than answers with me because I'm not here to give you answers. I don't know what your answers are. Um, But when I ask them what self-preservation is to them, almost every single time, every single client that I've worked with in the past two years, it has always, as far as Black women is concerned, it has always included operating from a place of survival. And so when you think about survival and that being your lifestyle and your mindset, it really highlights the way that you move on a daily basis, right? And why your life, um, why it it aligns the way that it does. Maybe like a generational defense mechanism sometimes uh, when you think about it, self-preservation in terms of cultural awareness, especially in the Black community, there are, you know, a set of behaviors that we all do. Um, to preserve our life. One very, very important one I just experienced last year at the Roots picnic. We saw a group of Black folks running. What you think we did? Ran. We started running. It was a gang of Black folks. It was thousands of Black people running at the Roots picnic. We didn't stop and ask no questions until we was like half half a mile down the street. And we was all bent over like... <sighs> Are you running? I don't know. I saw that group of people running. We got to figure out what happened. 
Someone said they were gunshots. I don't know. I didn't hear no gunshots. I wasn't trying to stand around and wait and wait and, and see what happened. That's self-preservation for the black community. That's something culturally we can all understand. We've seen TikTok videos on it. We've seen memes like somebody come, you know, a, you see a black dude running down the staircase. Everybody about to start running. We'll figure this out later. So that's self-preservation. Um, another example I like to give is like when we all watching the movies and we go, black dude's going to die first. Or, dude, don't go in that basement. Why are you going in that basement? What you doing in the basement? That's where the noise is. Why are you going down there? Self-preservation tells you don't go in the dark space, right? So that's just the way that I, I kind of um, initiate that conversation when we're talking about self-preservation with each of my clients, especially when it comes to Black women, because based on how it was modeled for you growing up, um, it could be you just operating out of a place of survival and maybe you don't want to live that way anymore. Maybe you're ready to change your story and you just don't know how. One, I think one of the biggest things for me, um, because I'm an only child, I'm a military kid. I'm mm. just, there's just, there's so many layers. I'm a Virgo. Like there's so many layers to why I'm wired the way I am. But one of the things that I have struggled with in past years, but 2020 has knocked me over the head with is being able to accept help from others. All right now. And not always, right? And not always, because self-preservation, we tend to always turn inward. All the energy becomes at ourselves. It's like, ah, F the world. It's me. Yeah. And it's like, no, self-preservation is knowing that you don't have to do everything by yourself and knowing that prayerfully, you know, if you're doing the right things and as you start to become more conscious about doing the right things, God will align people around you, universe, spirit, ancestors, whatever your thing is. Right will align the right people around you that will have your back. So you don't have to be the person that's like, you know what, just I'll do it because nobody's going to do it. Like I'll do it. Like you will find that support. And, and I feel like that's self-preservation, like definitely at its basic level. Cause it's like, you know what, I'm accepting the help. I'm a chill and I'm going to let you help me because I can't just, I can't keep thinking I'm going to do everything on my own. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so I think that talks a little bit about, like, again, what it isn't, because I know one of the things we talked about is like, it's not isolating yourself necessarily. Like, I think mm -hmm. we have those periods and, and you need to be a little bit in introspective at times. But it's also, again, kind of doing it in a way that feels relaxed and it doesn't feel like, you know what, I'm shutting the world out. It's kind of like, I'm going to just focus on myself, but also I'm going to allow the help to come to me. And, and I'm going to ask for the help from the people who I know can support me or help me in whatever journey, whether that's a personal moment I'm having or a business need, I'm going to accept the help. And I'm also going to open myself up to asking for it. Absolutely. That's another question that I like to ask is how do you let people show up for yourself? Not if you can, or not if you, if you have before, but like, what does that look like? How does that, that show up in your life? And again, it's not a generic answer. It's something that you would have to answer for yourself and sit back and be like, well, how do I let people show up for me? Um, if someone reaches out and say, hey, how can I support you this week? And you say, oh, no, I'm good. I don't need anything. Knowing you was just on the floor crying because your laptop moving slow and you out of ink and somebody's at the store asking what you need. It's as simple as saying, you know what? I do need something. And that's being transparent and open with yourself, but also getting to this point where you feel safe enough with your your nucleus, your circle, your village, your support system. You feel safe enough to let them know that you do need something because a lot of times not asking for it is rooted in this uh, 
in in fear. Like, oh, if I ask for something, they're going to hold it over my head. Or, oh, if I ask for something, then they're going to want something back. And that's good. They're going to think that I can't can't do this for myself. And so a lot of that is rooted, this, this root cause of fear. And you have to dig through that and and figure that out for yourself, too. So it's a lot of, of inner work. It's a lot of inner work um, with the way that it was either directly or indirectly taught to you. And one thing that I was journaling about, oh, I want to say maybe a year or two ago, there's a difference between like solitude and then there's a difference between isolating yourself. And self-preservation isn't isolating yourself and then calling it abandonment. It's not isolating yourself and then saying, well, nobody's showing up for me and nobody's there for me and I don't have anybody in my corner. Okay, well, nobody told you to move, you know, move all the way to West Bubblefuck, Alaska by yourself, right? And then be like, nobody's coming to visit me. Um, that's that's not that's not solitude. It, you know, solitude comes in 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 phases, right? You can experience solitude throughout your day. You can experience solitude. You can schedule it. You can schedule solitude for yourself. But when you are specifically isolating yourself and then making it seem as though people are abandoning you, that's not self-preservation. That's not what it is. And I can't imagine it feels good either. And self-preservation, I feel like self-preservation should feel good. I mean, of course, you're doing the work and and, uh, on yourself, like you said, the inner work. And um, that might not always feel good because of the things that get stirred up. (laughs) Right. But I think in general, you know, just isolating yourself doesn't feel good. It might feel like, like, I know we have a tendency to run away from the things we te- we should be running toward. And I think when we have those moments where we feel the need to, to isolate ourselves, that, that, that is very much that. I think those are the times where we need to lean on our community. We need to lean on our loved ones. And if 2020 has taught us anything, then it's like, you're not promised. So like, you know, call your grandma, call your auntie, call whoever and be like, look, I just need to talk, you know, whatever it is. I need support. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's how the uh, that's how the self-preservation initiative came about. And um, it was really just creating a space for, you know, black women and black men to 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 release what whatever emotion was causing them distress. Right. I can't fix your life, but I can give you these 30 minutes so that you can kind of release whatever is 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 disrupting your quality of life. And it it sort of forced me to look at the way I view self-preservation and what that is like in my life. At one point, my life was not reflective of these teachings and what I believed in. And I was like, man, I'm being a real hypocrite right now, <laughs> you know, because I say this and I'm not doing that and I'm not carving out the time for this in my life. And I that's what made me say I'm grateful earlier. What was bringing me joy was being able to slow down. My life was slowing down. I feel like I was forced to slow down and and kind of really reevaluate where I am as far as my self-preservation is concerned, as far as, you know, what am I doing in my life that aligns with a life of ease and, a, and aligns with a life of luxury? And what does that look like for me on a daily basis? That made me think of a quote, and I'm paraphrasing it by Dr. Tama. She's a licensed therapist that I just, I love to love to follow. And she basically said something like, um, don't basically like, don't mistake peace for boredom. Mm -hmm. And I think about that with self-preservation because sometimes what feels like self-preservation or these temporary moments of like 
bringing ourselves joy through destructive means. And what I mean by that is like, you know, oh, I'm having a bad day. I'm about to go down this bottle or whatever. Or, mm-hmm. oh, oh, I had a, you know, oh, this person's getting on my nerves. Like, I need a drink. And it's like, you know, or we could, you know, respond to that a little bit differently. Maybe we could just mentally put that person to sleep. And yeah, sometimes you do need a drink and that's fine and do what you need to do. But I think like true self-preservation is not necessarily turning to destructive um, or the or less productive um, outlets in order to kind of get back to what you think is your center at that time, because uh-huh. it, it's not really that. And mm-hmm. I know I've done it myself. I've been guilty of it. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to work on finding, I guess, more productive ways to mm-hmm. preserve. <laughs> I like that you use the word productive. Um, I think that everybody's definition of productive is going to vary. And that's one thing that you have to figure out for yourself. What is your definition of productive, right? Because um, you can say, oh, I wasn't productive today. Or I wasn't productive this week. And you just cranked out three chapters. But to you, that might not be productive. To someone else that struggles with anxiety or imposter syndrome, three chapters is, oh my goodness, you are amazing. You just wrote three chapters just sitting down like that. Um, and so I love that you use that word. Um, it it leads me into something else that I was kind of reflecting on and and writing about when when thinking about this and preparing for this session. Um, when you think about preserving everybody's granny or everybody has an auntie or some older woman in there in their family that preserves like fruits and veggies, right? You got like strawberry preserves and jam preserves and vegetables all preserved and when you are preserving your food, you are doing that so that you can lengthen their shelf life. And so when you think about self-preservation, you are, it's those behaviors that lengthen your life, right? And so whatever is the opposite of that, whatever you are doing that is shortening your life, that is causing you stress, that is raising your blood pressure, that is impacting your your weight physically or emotionally, that is the opposite of self-preservation. Um, and so again, another question I ask is how was this modeled for you growing up? Like what did the women in your family, um, do as far as self-preservation? They may not have used that word, but were they, were they emotionally manipulated? Were they walked over? Um, were they mentally abused or were you, were you a part of a family where the women would recognize and acknowledge that they were in a dangerous situation and then remove themselves from that situation? Like, how was that directly or indirectly modeled and impacted you as an adult woman now? You know, you have to look at the relationships with the women around you now and then what they looked like in the past. And and nine times out of 10, that is what has molded your your set of behaviors that we know to be self-preservation today. And that can be financial, too. That can be spiritual. Um, Yeah, it can hit you in every area of your life. Ooh, listen, as you were saying that, I was like, because, okay, so we're just, I know we're not supposed to like timestamp these, but we just got off Thanksgiving. <laughs> and when I tell you I was at home with my mama and my grandma, and I was like, oh my gosh, I am the 20 something, 40 something year younger version of these women. And Jesus, I need some <laughs> Cause I was like, like when you said that, when you, when you talked about, um, you know, did you, you know, did they remove themselves from situations? And I think about past relationships of both my mom and my grandma. And it's like, yes, the men were acting up. It was time to go. Mm. 
we're not even having these conversations. Like, what are we talking? There's nothing to talk about. You got to go and get rid of like, and I think about how that has played out in my life and how quick I'm just like, you know what? Deuces. Yeah. And that is, that's crazy. I think that's beautiful that you had those examples. Um, my sister and I, my my older sister, she's 13 years older than me, but as I got older, we were able to develop a relationship and we often had conversations about um, the women in our family, the older women, what past generations are, because we can trace back six generations. And so we were able to sit down and compare what we knew and have these these eye-opening conversations with each other about what we didn't want to continue in our lives based on what women and our, you know, our ancestors went through. And so giving ourselves permission to heal and do life differently, right? Giving ourselves permission to remove ourselves out of this this abusive situation or this isn't serving me, this isn't safe. Um, I have to stop it here. And that's what brings us into like that generational healing and breaking those generational unhealthy cycles and curses because if it's not if it's not safe, but it's been going on for three, four, or five generations. At what point is someone going to say, "Why are we still doing this? <laughs> what? Why? So we all just going to stay with these types of men? Are we not going to do anything differently?" Um, it it really it forces you to ask hard questions, necessary but very difficult, challenging questions, and that that forces you to maybe remove the rose-colored lens that you might have of people that you were connected to, relatives, family, those you love, cherished loved ones, the people that you grew up with, um, because it, it requires transparency. One of the other things that I came to know and as I thought about for, you know, for us recording this was uh, one of the things that I never learned as a kid was anything related to self-care like my mom my grandma to this day like I'm the person that's gonna be like y'all let's do masks or (laughs) like it was college before I really and it was a a roommate of mine and she just used to always take like Friday night or Saturday night where I was getting dressed to go out to the club she was like at home doing her toes Mm. and you know putting on a mask and doing her hair you know and I was just like, this is so weird to me. Why she don't want to go to the club? <laughs> right. <laughs> Little did we know the club ain't did shit for us, but, you know, it was a good time. It was a period. But, you know, that was my first time like experiencing self-care. And so I think self-care and self-preservation are kind of these two words that, that get intertwined a lot. But I know there is a difference. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about that um, and how you approach that with your clients and how you approach that in your life. So um, let me just snatch a couple edges real quick, because I challenge what everyone, what society's definition of self-care is. Um, I love doing a mask and I love sprinkled colored drinks and flecking for the gram just as much as the next person. But that is not what self-care is. So self-preservation is that instinctual behavior that keeps us alive longer. Self, self-care is an intention. It's a lifestyle. And so self-care are the actions that we take that create that foundation um, that works hand in hand with self-preservation. Um, how do I care for myself? What does caring for myself look like? If I'm not caring for myself, then what do I need to do in order to adjust that? How do I adjust my expectations? Self-care includes 
communication, boundaries, but knowing what that is because we throw that word around too without breaking it down a little bit. Self-care also means being aware of your body, body awareness and, and your body's physical reaction to stress. Um, self-care also means making a doctor's appointment, right? But self-preservation is finding another doctor when that doctor doesn't believe your symptoms. That's how those two work hand in hand. Mm. So I challenge everyone's definition of self-care and I challenge you to challenge what your own definition of self-care is because I love painting my toes. You know, I, we talked about Mondays being real chill for us. Self-care is me not scheduled, not top loading my Mondays. That's self-care to me. That is setting a professional boundary saying, I'm not doing a lot of emotional labor on Monday. I'm not doing a lot of psychological work on Mondays. I want my, my Sundays are easy and chill. And I want to continue that energy into Monday. And then I want to do my work and then end out my week because I don't want to just always have to look forward to the weekend. That's self-care for me. But that that behavior, that set of behaviors is what is going to lengthen my life and preserve my life a little bit longer. Yes, I'm so glad you broke that down because I, I do. I mean, even just talking about self-care, you automatically think spa or <laughs> spa <Right>. relationship. <laughs> and I'm not against, you know, I'm not against going to Fiji or, you know, heading jumping on a plane and going to Mexico, I'm not against none of that at all. But self-care also includes your finances. Like, can you do this? You know, self-care is about, uh, self-care is more about accountability. It's really about accountability. Um, are you holding yourself accountable? Um, looking at your actions, how you impact others. Are you violating someone else's boundaries? You know, uh, when you say no and you want it respected, are you respecting someone else's full sentence no? Yeah. Challenge what you what you what you think self-care is on a regular. I think it's also I think part of self-care, too, is compassion along the way, especially mm -hmm. when it wasn't a thing that because I know, like for me, I felt like I was just I feel like I've been sleeping for a very long time. And then God was just like, it's time for you to wake up. And I've been like all these emotions and all this you know, inner work has just turned on and it's like a thing I can't turn on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's just been kind of an ongoing journey. And more than anything, as stuff continues to come up, I'm just like, just continue to be soft with yourself. Like, yeah, give yourself grace. Because my therapist, and anytime I'm beating myself up about something, I'll tell it to my therapist and she'll just, she just, it just rolls off her back. Like, she's just like, oh, well, you know, and I'm just like, why aren't you as worked up about this as I am? And of course she's not as close to the situation, but you know, she has all the tools in her toolbox of, of how to navigate this stuff. And honestly, knowing like she always says, worry and disappointment are a waste of time. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, part of my self care is being in tune with those two things, like making mm -hmm. sure that I'm not feeding into worrying too much and mm -hmm. I'm not spending too much time in the place of being disappointed by something or someone. But disappointment is, disappointment comes from our expectations. Mm -hmm. And so when you are holding yourself accountable and when you are reevaluating what your expectations are, you're making adjustments and you're reassessing what you need as you need it. So six months ago, what we needed is different than what we need today. And in six months, what we need today is going to be different than what we need on a random Monday next year. And so you're just constantly reassessing what you need as you need it, but also adjusting your expectations. 
And it doesn't mean like setting the bar low. You can still, I love duality. I love explaining duality because duality means that um, you can exist in two spaces at once. You can have two beliefs at once. It doesn't mean that that you're not setting the bar high, that you're not expecting someone to be the person that they said they that they're going to be, but it, it also readjusts the expectations you have for the outcome of what their behavior is, right? So practicing non-attachment and releasing the outcome to whatever it is that that you are desiring or whatever that expectation is or their behavior or whatever that is. All of that is <laughs> is in the gumbo pot. It all works together. I think non-attachment, that is probably going to be one of my recurring themes for 2021. Listen, (laughs) listen, last year was a a lesson in that for me. This year was a lesson in that for me. I'm not going to say I handled it with grace at first. Shorty had an attitude. Face was stank. I was like (laughs) setting myself up for disappointment because I wasn't able to let go of, you know, whatever whatever was going to happen. If it's for me, it's for me, right? I've done everything I needed to do. I've handed everything in. For example, like practicing non-attachment means getting my package together for my PhD, turning it in, and then not stressing myself about it. Whatever the outcome, I am content. I am at peace with whatever the outcome. And that's really hard to do in any area of your life. It it can be hard to do. Um, It's not impossible, but it can be rather difficult, you know? I know that one of the things that that we talked about um, was wanting to distinguish self-preservation from like means. And because I know that was something that was super important um, in our conversation, I wanted to just see if you could spend just a couple minutes talking about what that, what that means, what that looks like, because I know sometimes like I remember a guy that I used to had a situation ship with, and, and, and maybe this is on that topic, maybe not, but I think to some degree it is, but he was always like, my attitude is trash when I'm not making money. Mm. He was like, like my emotions, the way that I feel, whether or not I want to interact with folks is all related to how my business is doing. Cause he was a 100% creative. Mm. And I just was like, that's weird. But then I, I experienced one of those one of those periods in my business where it was just like things were looking a little funny and I just wasn't really, I wasn't feeling like myself. And so I maybe, I guess I want to talk a bit, a little bit about that with you and what your thoughts are on that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know for, for creators, for entrepreneurs, like that's a big deal. It is. <laughs> so as you were talking out, I, I had more questions, um, but I think my, my, the first thing that I would say when we are distinguishing self-preservation um, separate from what means and provisions are in our life is you have to have already defined what self-preservation is for you. You have to already have an idea of what that looks like in your life, separate from the roles and the titles that you play, right? So self-preservation is who you are outside of the roles that you take on, the labels that you've been given, the titles that you have. Sometimes it's hard for me, you know, it was challenging for me until recently, recent years when someone would say, tell me about yourself. And I would start spewing off titles and roles and labels and acronyms and signatures, right? That's not who you are. That's not what self-preservation is. So I would even say, Ask yourself who you are outside of what you do, outside of 
what you're called outside of how you label yourself, the roles that you play. And that is the beginning of you being able to distinguish that separate from your means and your provision, separate from your business, separate from the money that you make, right? Because if November is a slower month than December, that doesn't mean that you still don't deserve to preserve yourself, right? That doesn't mean that your instinctual behaviors are not going to ebb and flow based on the amount of money that you make. And so I would even take it a step further and say, what is self-care separate from means and provision? Because your self-preservation is going to be uh, what we what we've been talking about for the past you know several minutes. It's going to be your behaviors, your instincts. It's innate to you. That can't be taken away. It's innate. Your self-care might adjust, or it might change, or it might look different based on your means and your provisions. But that doesn't mean that you should just totally eradicate it or remove it from your life. Does that kind of make sense? Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, because I think you know when you are an entrepreneur and you are. Like self-care, especially when you're t- kind of just getting started or you're you're experiencing valleys in your business, you're like, self-care, no, I got to work. That thing is over there. And so I know even for myself, it's like, it's as simple as I found a lake in my neighborhood <laughs> that I yeah. didn't know existed. And mm-hmm. I go walk around the lake mm-hmm. and watch the ducks. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, mm-hmm. and that cost me nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and, or I go to the park and that cost mm-hmm. me nothing cost me the gas to get there so thank god for having gas in my car right you know what I mean? right. so it's like those things and like because i know you talked about when the when the means and provision aren't there to be able to still take care of yourself or do things that that add to you right so something as simple as not to cut you off just i wanted to throw this out there for someone who might be saying you know well, i don't have it i don't have it to do it or i self-care is not attached to tangible items, materialistic items. Um, I have all of my clients schedule rest every single week. That's their recurring homework. Every single week you need to schedule rest. Go on your phone and your calendar and schedule rest. I don't care if it's Saturday from nine to 12, put in your phone from nine to 12. Do not disturb. Don't do nothing. R-E-S-T. Schedule rest. That's something that doesn't cost you anything. It It's self-care and it's self-preservation. That's something that you can do every single week. And we all need a little bit more rest. Without attaching it to how productive you are. Yes, that part. Because that's, yes, when you're a creative, you're like, if I'm not performing or producing, what am I doing with my life? Right. So how have you, how have you navigated that? (laughs) (laughs) A hot ass mess. No, I'm kidding. I... I've, I've just, honestly, I have just had to soften up. Like you just beat yourself up and beat yourself up and beat yourself up to the point that you're like, this shit is exhausting. Yeah, I am tired of doing this to myself. And why would I do this to myself when the world's already going to do it to me? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like they are like the world is already requiring things of you and asking you to show up in certain ways. Why would I continue to beat myself up in this way? Because it used to be really tough for me to just rest on a Saturday afternoon or on on a Sunday. And that's the Lord's day. Like, I just, I was like, this is too much. And so what helped me, though, was getting more intentional about my weekly schedule and like my therapist. Because one of my, one of the things my therapist swears by is, you know, booking out your calendar for the week. Mm -hmm. 
So if you know you want to work on, you know, this proposal, putting it on the calendar, giving yourself a reminder, getting the calendar notification. And she's like, when you go into the week with a plan, whether you stick with that plan or rearrange it, you know, there's things you have to get done. And because your brain is like, "Uh uh-oh, notification, time to do this thing, things get done. And so when I'm more intentional about my time during the week, I feel less guilty on the weekend because I feel like. The truth is, is the only time I feel guilty about rest is when I feel like I haven't actually, when I haven't accomplished the things that I set out and I wanted to do in the first place. And that's where mm-hmm. my guilt, I think, comes from. Mm. So if if I said you should schedule rest during the week, is that something that you would find challenging? Mm, schedule no, an hour I, of rest it, and not necessarily like before bedtime, right? Because we, we find these loopholes when it comes to, <laughs> we try to find these loopholes. And so if I said, you know what, I think you should schedule an hour of rest during the week, not waiting until Saturday or Sunday, just schedule an hour of rest during the week and see how that feels and kind of observe where in your body it's uncomfortable and uneasy. And if you couldn't sit still or, you know, couldn't look out the window and listen to the rain, like, what is that? What comes up for you? That's, that's what I would have suggested. Ooh, that'll be interesting. A bunch of thoughts, honey. A bunch of thoughts. I'll just be sitting there looking crazy like she wants me to go to sleep. Just sit here and look at this wall. Right. So one of the things that we talked about in preparation for this was our shared love of tools. I know it's something I talk about in therapy all the time. Um, I know it's something you brought up. And so when it comes to the self-preservation journey, um, you know, for difficult times, I'm curious what your thoughts are on what tools you would want to share with somebody who is going through like a valley moment or periods of anxiety, depression, if there is, if there is a common thread there. But when it just comes to difficult times, I'm curious what tool or tools you have to share. Absolutely. Everyone experiences difficult times, challenging moments. You might have a challenging moment every other day. It seems like um, when you're in the valley, it can feel like it's just heavy and it hangs over you like a cloud. And so I have everyone I work with actually bring a box, like bring a little box to session. And this is their personal toolbox because I have universal tools that I suggest, but you might find that there's something that works more specific to your life. And so um, I have two tools that I would suggest. And one is voice notes. If you have a phone, uh, if it's a flip phone, if it's, you know, from, from a discount store, all phones have a voice note option and you can record yourself saying whatever you need, um, taking a walk and screaming, um, releasing, venting, getting out, whatever it is that is disrupting your quality of life and you don't have to listen to it. You can delete it or you can go back and see how you were feeling later. But I like that tool because not everybody journals. Not everybody has the time to sit down and write with a pen and a piece of paper. You might have some some mother, mom entrepreneurs that follow you and the only safe space they have is sitting in the car before they come in the house. They might, you know, utilize that time to record a voice note about what is going on just so that they can release it. My biggest suggestion during difficult times is the universal tool of release. If you don't release it, if it's not coming out in any way, you internalize it, it turns into um, physical symptoms, the way your body responds to stress. It could manifest itself as stomach issues for Black women, fibroids, right? Uh, migraines, infertility, um, cancer. It literally can manifest itself into like a physical reaction to what you're not releasing. So I would say release. 
as you know, in any way that you can um, and create yourself a grounding ritual. Create something that allows you to recenter, recalibrate, and ground yourself in the moment. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, buy sage. Um, you don't have to go and find a candle. I buy candles from the Dollar Tree if you need a candle. Create yourself a grounding ritual that is specific to you and what you like and what you need, and it makes you feel centered and present in the moment. Those are the two tools that I would suggest for difficult times. I love both of those. I I've, I do occasionally do voice uh, messages. Listening back to them is always very interesting. <laughs> and I have started to journal. So my therapist uh, recommended to me, and I know journaling is mm-hmm. can take some time or it feels like this mm-hmm. big thing. And she knows that about me. So she got me to get one of those five-year journals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like one line a day. So mm-hmm. she's like, even if you get up and you write, I don't feel like writing today. <laughs> yeah. She was like, you know, this journal can can stay with you for the next five years and you can, you know, write just one or two lines every day. And it takes me less than five minutes. And that has been super helpful because it just like I even know just from a couple of months ago, starting to write to now, like I, my writing is getting more positive the more mm-hmm. that I write. Mm-hmm. And the trick that I do is I journal in the morning because mm-hmm. I found when I journaled in the, in the evening, I was journaling and venting my frustrations from the day. And I was forgetting what what great thing happened, what I was gra- grateful for, what I was appreciative of. And so I still do journal at night, but I found that, um, you know, just doing a few minutes in the morning, it kind of helped me say, okay, well, this is how I want my day to go. And then I found that that's how my day went. So yeah, prompts, journal prompts help anybody who is not a, you know, a, a person who journals. Yes, I love that. So what about when you are dealing with a difficult or a challenging relationship? And I know for me, friendships have been a key theme in 2020. I know for a lot of those that are in relationships, shout out to y'all because that's not me. Um, But for those that are in relationships, you know, they've been navigating possibly being quarantined with their person or not being quarantined with their person um, and finding challenges in that way. And so when it comes to self-preservation, because self-preservation is a whole journey just dealing with yourself, but then it's a whole, like, there's a whole nother set of nuances when it comes to dealing with other people. Um, so I'm curious what your thoughts are as far as tools when dealing with challenging relationships. Friendships and sisterships, those bonds are very important to me. And if anybody that has ever experienced a breakup with a friend, a sistership, knows how difficult that can be. So whether the relationship is platonic or whether it's romantic or professional, one tool I would say is to ask yourself how you are processing that loss. Give yourself permission to grieve um, because grief is the way that we process loss and just kind of observe that. Give yourself permission, you know, be compassionate. Self-compassion is important when it comes to dealing with difficult or challenging relationships. So the tool that I would give in this situation is permission to grieve. You're grieving the the loss of what you thought the relationship was going to be. You are grieving the the loss of time or the opportunity to maybe get closer or be closer. closer. Um, especially with Rona going on, there's been a lot of grief this year about processing the loss of time and um, opportunities and ideas right and and so that the, these timelines look different in relationships now and so just giving yourself permission to to grieving that difficult relationship whatever it looks like in that moment mm, 
And I think we touched on this a little bit already, but maybe we can like revisit it really quickly. But when it comes to the highs and lows of business, oof, Lord, the highs and lows of business. <laughs> How do you, because we talked about, we talked about it during the self-care piece, but tools for self-preservation when it comes to dealing with the highs and lows of your business. And I know a little bit, we touched on a little bit, but if you can just revisit that. Yeah, I would reiterate letting people show up for you. That's what I would reiterate. What And then what does letting people show up for me look like? What does investing in myself look like when it comes to the highs and the lows? And investing yourself, not necessarily financially, right? But maybe not overextending yourself. Um, and in order to not overextend yourself, you have to let people show up for you, right? Even if that means getting an intern because you have an issue with control and you don't want anybody logging into your emails, responding to clients, but you know you need some help and you got an intern, that a college intern that could help you. Just letting people show up for you. That's what I would reiterate. I'm so glad you said that because I actually read a stat and I shared it the other day that said that 97.5% of Black women-owned businesses have no employees. Mm. 97.5%. That means two. I wanted that 97%. Me too, girl. Me too. <laughs> I just want to hire my first employee so bad. Jesus. I'm oh like, my goodness. I mean, I hired my daughter, but uh, ooh, these teenagers, you know, so definitely one of the 97% and you snatch my edges. So I'm about to, um, I'm about to change that in 2021. Me too. I think that that's definitely one of my goals for 2021, but I think, you know, it starts with our family and friends. I know for me, I have definitely allowed my family and friends to show up for me in business. But yes, extending that even beyond them, because I love, you know, you love family and friends, you appreciate all their help, but they have lives and they have things going on too. And so, yes, you hope to scale your business to a place where you can afford your first employee, you know, garner your first intern, all of that. So I think getting support help in your business is, especially for black women. Yeah. and like we don't have to do it all by ourselves. There's no reason you should. Um, and I know for me, one of the things that I will have wanted to do is to give opportunity to, to other creatives of color. So at the point that this bank account allows me to do that. <laughs> I love it. Happening. <laughs> I love it. So I am super grateful for you today. I'm super grateful for our conversation how, if people want to stay in touch with you, if they are interested in services, maybe tell the folks how to stay in touch with you, how to keep up with what you have going on and how to learn more about your services. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so you all can find me on Instagram and Facebook at I am Gabrielle Morton, uh, Gabrielle, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E, last name Morton, like the salt um, that's clear across the board. And then you can catch me on my website at GabrielleMorton.com. That's where I host my events and you can reach out um, for clarity calls and coaching services therapeutic services. And also you can reach me at my nonprofit at Cultural Kinks on Facebook and Instagram. Also my personal page, I am Gabrielle Morton. We're always there asking questions in the stories, acting up, but that's what this journey is about. It's about learning and evolving and, you know, finding our best self and aligning with um, the best version of who we are. And so that's what I'm about. And I really appreciate this opportunity, girl. Yes. Thanks, G. We did it. I'm so excited. <laughs> Listen, for our first offline experience, well, we're still online because Rona, but right. for our first non-social media experience, listen, I loved every single minute of this conversation. And I know we've definitely dropped some stuff that's going to help some folks. So yeah, 
I appreciate you and thank you so, so much for today. Thank you. As always, I would like to say thank you once again to my guest. G, thank you for your time, energy, and wisdom. I find so much joy in making connections through social media and finding synergy with the real-life people on the other side of the screen. If you have thought about working with a therapist or you just need someone to talk to, please reach out to Gabrielle. Her social media information will be in the show description, so please don't hesitate to get in touch with her. My hope for this episode is that, like Gabrielle said earlier in the show, you're left with more questions than answers as you look to define or redefine what self-care and self-preservation means for you. I know I have tons of work to do, so you are not alone. I appreciate you so much for tuning in to another show. This is She Looks Like Me.